Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. All right, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Freeman. And for our next episode, I am very excited to have David Case join us. David is currently a Principal Enterprise Account Manager at Citrix Systems, and he's based in New York. Uh, David and I have not met before, but I've been really looking forward to this discussion. In 2021, David was the number one Northeast sales rep. In addition, he was also the number one sales rep for all of America's, but he didn't stop there. He ended up being the number one global sales rep for 2021. So I, I definitely, I'm pretty confident that David has some things he can share that we'll all find valuable. David, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure is all mine. So why don't you tell us uh, and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and your background in tech sales? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been at Citrix for almost 11 years now, and uh, I started right out of college, actually. So I was a college hire. I was a civil and, civil and architectural engineering grad, and I went right into our consulting group. So I went through this six-month super intensive training program, which was really transformative for me. You know, went from knowing nothing about software to be ready to out there on projects, be out there on projects. So after the six months, I went through um, into consulting for five years. So I was leading technical projects, um, got to travel the world, you know, doing a hundred nights in a hotel every year. So definitely a road warrior, but it was this incredible crucible of experience for me where you're out in front of our you know, the largest customers doing very complicated and important projects. It's technical. I got great experience in front of the customer. So that was really a formative time for me. And then coming at the end of those five years, I knew I didn't want to always be technical. I felt it was kind of a ceiling on my possible development. So uh, in talking to one of my mentors, you know, he said, well, are you interested to really learn more about the business? And he recommended I go into services sales you know, to get a feel for everything, legal operations, finance, delivery, customer relationship. And it kind of totally broadened my perspective, especially as a non-salesperson. I never really planned to be in sales. I thought sales was something way different than it really is, like I'm sure many people do. Sure. So that was my first step into sales. So I was uh, kind of doing ride-alongs. I was an overlay for uh, the account executives for some of our largest customers. So I got to ride along with really our best and you know biggest salespeople at Citrix, which was amazing. I got to see how they do the job. I got to be really intimately involved in the large deals. I was scoping out the consulting projects to deliver what the customer was trying to achieve. So it was, again, incredible experience. And again, uh, I had a mentor, now a colleague on one of my team, on my team now, who said, uh, he's like, hey, we have a new headcount on our team as an account exec. Why don't you throw your hat in the ring? And again, it was something I never really considered that I could be capable of, but kind of that vote of confidence from a mentor, I applied to that and I 
far as I'm aware, it was the first time ever at Citrix someone had made that jump from a services salesperson trading to an account exec for our enterprise customers. So I made that leap. And now I've been an account exec uh, on the enterprise team in the Northeast here for this will be my fifth calendar year doing the job. So, so kind of an interesting path, but I've really been blessed by some awesome development uh, opportunities along the way. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. Well, going from a civil engineering degree to working for a software company, that's uh, right. <laughs> quite the, quite the change there. <laughs> I, re- I remember when uh, I first got my company laptop and it was like, put in the domain and username. And I was like, what's a domain? <laughs> I, you know, I, I didn't know the first thing about it. So it was a cool experience of learning. And look where you're at now. Well, so, um, you know, I'm really curious. So you talked about how those consulting years were formative for you. What were some of the things you learned from being a consultant that you feel has accelerated uh, your sales career? Yeah, great question. Um, I, I really trace all my current skill set back to consulting. So it's a, it's a perfect question. In consulting, you are extremely visible to the customer. There's, you know, you're frontline in front of often executives who are funding this big expensive project. You are, you have to understand the technical side of it and the mapping of the technical solution to the business need. Um, so that was huge understanding, okay, what's the, what's the actual business problem we're trying to solve? How am I going to deliver to that and actually executing successful projects? That's one thing, that kind of solution mapping. I think a lot of what I learned was in interpersonal and presentation skills and running meetings, just learning to be extremely crisp and effective in communication. And as you can imagine, you know, I'm a long, young looking guy and at age 23 or 22 being on site billing, you know, $350 an hour, people expect a lot from you and you really have to deliver that value visibly. So just, just learning to always be crisp and have that level of excellence. Time management is huge. You're not, you sometimes are on back to back to back one week projects. So you got to go from learning who the customer is, what the business problem is, what the deliverables are, who the people are. You have a project team under you. You got to do that all in one week and then start again. So it was just kind of a perfect crucible for becoming really effective, a good communicator and, and good solution mapper. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, when you say it, it makes a lot of sense because if you think about, um, you know, any, any high-end salesperson, um, the ones that have a successful career that build up lifetime uh, customer relationships that do their second, third, or fourth transaction or refresh with a customer over a period of time, um, it, you know, they've been adding value. Yeah. And a big part of consulting is, you know, you talked about tying that or mapping it to the customer's business need. You constantly need to be adding value. Otherwise, you know, they're not going to pay for it. And so you went into sales with that mindset day one. And I'm just I'm yeah. sure that's had to had to be significant. Yeah, you know what's interesting? When I made the jump to the dark side, as they call it, a lot of people asked me, what's it like being in sales? Is it a totally different world? And I would tell people, I'm actually still in consulting. I'm just earlier in the process. And, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to make that jump is sometimes I would get on a project as a consultant and I would be tasked to deliver something that I didn't actually feel met the real business need. Like someone had already made that decision, right? For the project is here's what we're going to deliver for this problem. And, and I always hated the lack of impact 
when you, you it was not focused on the right outcome. So I felt if I could get earlier in the process, still be in clinical consulting, I can make sure that the entire project is going to deliver the outcome that the customer really wants. So it really still is consulting, which is a, which is a great thing for me. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you also touched on, uh, you made the comment, one of your mentors, and you mentioned it at both times when you made that next step in your career. Um, that first mentor, can you tell me a little bit about, was that a formal relationship or just sort of an informal? Yeah, um, it was informal. I would say that what was so interesting and great about the culture of our consulting organization is that everyone was so dynamic. You, you, were, you were expected to spend you know, 40, 50 hours a week billing time to a customer doing a project. But outside of that, there really was an expectation that you were trying to do everything you could to build that organization better, come up with new processes. I would do on my spare time, I would deliver technical training. So I would like learn a concept, deliver it to the team. And through one of kind of those, what we call extracurriculars, this mentor of mine, he was trying to bring up the young folks to be like maximally impactful in the organization. And it's just through that relationship of him helping us along, trying to show what he had learned that we developed this kind of natural respect for each other. And, and it just continued. I would seek advice from him. So it was informal, but it was kind of just a part of the culture of really that great organization we were in. Yeah. Sounds like an awesome individual. Are you still in touch with them? You know, he went and he started his own company um, in consulting and he's, he's a very ambitious guy. You know, one thing I always respected about him, he had such a high risk tolerance. He, you know, he was willing to throw it all away and start from scratch. And that's something I still aspire to. That's not necessarily me, me naturally. Yeah. But yeah, he's, he's doing big things. Yeah. Well, you know, that is a certain mindset, right? It's a confidence in yourself. It's uh, sometimes what holds people back is, um, you know, they have all the skill sets, they have all the ability, they have all the knowledge. It's the fear of all the things that could go wrong yes. versus, you know, and I personally have had to work on this over the years is focusing on all the great things that could happen because, you know, what you focus on comes to pass. And if you're focused on all the worries and all the things that could go wrong, all the, all the, you know, all the reasons why I might not hit my number because my quota is too big. Well, guess what? You probably won't <laughs> hit your quota, but if you focus on all of the, um, the big deals that you could get, all the great outcomes that could happen from doing the right pipeline building and customer development every day, well, the chances are you'll probably have more of that. So uh, definitely is a mindset, but I do, I do admire people that, uh, you know, they can go just full, full speed ahead and do something like that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, David, let me ask you. So kind of getting down into the nuts and bolts of, of selling. So you've had, obviously you've had, you must've had some big wins and you had an incredible year last year. Um, you know, what do you feel um, separates top performers from the rest of the pack? Or really, what's the secret behind your success? Yeah, good question. Um, I'll, I'll probably address it as the latter half of the question, because it, it is tough to say what other high performers do. We kind of live in our own little world that we build for ourselves, what I expect, how I run my team, how I run my opportunities, how I manage my relationships. And I think it's a it's an art. There's other salespeople I know who do it totally differently and still succeed. So I don't know if I know the common thread, but from my perspective, you know, what what have what do I think I do differently? Um, I would say I take a really uh, really intense customer centric view, and 
I, I kind of, this all comes back to something I always remind myself of, which is solutions have no inherent value. I think it's something I read in a book a long time ago, but it's a hundred percent true that no matter how amazing your solution is, it's only valuable in the problem it solves. So, you know, so many salespeople will start talking about what they have to offer or updates on what we can do next. But we, in my team, I can't remember the last time, it's been years since I pitched a product. It's really, we focus all on the customer's business, their success with our existing software, what their challenges are, what they're trying to do, how they're changing. And out of that naturally comes the product fit. So, so that's one thing that I would say. Um, I know we were hoping to talk about pipeline build at some point, and and I think that's something I do differently. I, there's always kind of a I, I'll consider it a legacy mindset. I haven't been in the game so long, so so maybe I just failed to appreciate it at this stage of my career. But it seems that you know cold outreach or even slightly warm outreach over email or phone calls or, or trying to push your message out there in the world. I've had so little success with that. Mm -hmm. And I find that you're kind of screaming in the void. So for me, uh, pipeline building is about business review and alignment with the customer on their priorities. And it really has nothing to do with what we bring to the table from a solution perspective. It's about just understanding your customer so deeply that you could make their decisions for them and, and see that, that um, what the right fit is. So those, those are a couple of things. Outside of that, I would just say that I think I manage time very well. And I, I tend to focus on very few opportunities that I think are very high quality, that have a lot of potential. And I don't waste time on things where I'm not convinced. Like I will never put time into something that I don't, that I wouldn't choose our software in the customer's shoes. Like if I don't feel the whole story is there, it's not something, you know, I'm willing to spend spend resources on. So I guess I put more wood behind fewer arrows. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, and then, you know, as a result, uh, you're putting more intensity behind that. Exactly. Right. You're able to get deeper and wider with that account, that, that discussion. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the, you know, the, you haven't pitched a product in a couple of years and, you know, it's in our industry, you know, in high tech IT, uh, there's just so much training that's done for the reps around the products, around the messaging, around the features. Right. And, you know, you're so trained up. It's hard for rep when they get in that meeting to not want to just share all that great stuff. And right. I've been on a number of ride alongs and, you know, sometimes the, the teams will start off doing a really great job asking the questions, but they're looking for that, that, that in to then start to position. And once they hear it, they stop asking questions and boom, full steam ahead with, <laughs> oh, we've got this thing and we've got that thing. Right. And then and then the ability to go back and ask those discovery questions, you never get back to that. Yeah, you never get another chance. It's really true. Yeah, absolutely true. What about, uh, so, and then on the pipeline piece, um, I am a little bit of a, I don't know, I, I'm, companies will have blitz days and they'll do their things to go create pipeline and you know you, you do it and sometimes it's there ultimately so we can get reps to put those opportunities in the funnel yeah um, so we can get visibility but i totally agree that that no pipeline is created until you have a meeting right you need to go have a meeting and yeah. and i imagine so most of your accounts it sounds like or you're an enterprise account so you probably have fewer accounts and so for you, if I could just restate it, and you know, pipeline building is you know scheduling a a review session, um, 
assessing where they're at, you know, kind of a, maybe a quarterly update, quarterly review. Um, how often would you go into one of your major accounts and do one of those kind of assessment review sessions? Yeah, it's something I have tested a few different cadences. And I find that actually for me, an annual cadence for the super uh, high level business review is the best because it, it aligns well from a cal- calendar perspective. At the beginning of the year, typically IT priorities are defined, business priorities have been defined. Everyone has this open mind to what the road will look like throughout the year and where they want to get. Once you get to mid year, a lot of projects are locked in in your mid-project. It's really about delivery at that point. So there's this really important moment in January and early February. I'm going through this process now where people's minds are open. They are willing to kind of have a blank slate and look back and say, how did we do last year? What did what did and didn't we achieve? And what does the year ahead look like? And I find that that open discussion helps us lay out a roadmap for the entire year that I'll still be referring to throughout the year. And um, in, these, in these business reviews, I try to present to the customer what they would put together if they were summarizing their own use of Citrix. So looking at us in the context of their other partners that we integrate with, you know, not taking their view at us, showing them what they own, what they're using, what they're not using, what's good, what's bad, not, not just what's good, right? What, what isn't going well with Citrix. So trying to be this very transparent and holistic view, and that becomes the platform for really everything we do throughout the year. So it becomes a discovery agreement on a lot of their business problems and things we want to solve over time. It becomes part of what a proposal will be later, right? It's the foundation of here's what you do today, here's what you're trying to do. So it even becomes like the account plan. So these early in the year uh, business review sessions, I feel like just align us so well with the customer. And then we're just collaborating for the rest of the year instead of kind of, you know, facing each other. Yeah, that's such a best practice. And, you know, I've seen really great reps that, you know, do something similar. And then, you know, throughout the year when they're in there having that meeting, they're going back and they're recapping and reminding them that, you know, hey, you know, here's kind of, what we talked about is your plan for the year, you know, just, you know, this specific little thing we're working on fits into this bigger picture. Um, you know, and things change sometimes. And sometimes that ferrets out the fact that, hey, yeah, I know we're going down path A, but now we need to start going down path B because of whatever reason we got acquired. Things are changing. Right. Um, but definitely um, great, great sales practice. Yeah. Something to that point about reminding the customer. Um, I always tell my team, assume the customer retains almost nothing of what you say and almost knows nothing about their own use of the product. And of course they do, but their lives are so busy with so many priorities that when we get into a meeting, you always have to start by relaying that same foundation. You can make no assumptions that, you know, your customer has this loaded up in their heads and is ready to jump right in. So that's always a communication best practice. I think if a, if a listener is to take one lesson from this uh, interview, just do that, right? Because, you know, we as you, you're a rep, right? So you spend all this time planning for that customer meeting, planning for that account plan for the year. 
you've got a pretty good idea of what you want to do with the vendor you're working for, for that account. But by the way, that customer, they have like 40 other vendors they work with. Right. And you know, there's no possible way they can remember the big master plan. And sometimes, especially kind of the mid-level managers, let's say a director, maybe even a VP, if it's a really big account, um, they are so focused on the business, you know, the year, the project, those, those right. plans, and you're a cog in a bigger plan. And it's our job to continue to refresh them and remind them and, uh, you know, give them a chance to catch up with you. Cause you've been thinking about it hours before you ever rolled into that parking lot. <laughs> They're coming from their last meeting right. and they need a little bit of time to catch up with uh, where David's at on the plan. So great. Absolutely. Great point. Well, David, so I, I guess I'm curious um, and I, I kind of imagine where you might take this, but you know, any one of these accounts, you know, sometimes, um, we're salespeople, right? So there's pressure on us to continue to move deals forward. Uh, I'm curious, what are some of the things that you do to maintain urgency within a deal? You know, once you've kind of agreed with the customer that this is a project or this is a deal, um, is there some things you do out there to maintain that urgency? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I have long-term relationships with my customers because I have a very short list and we're very, you know, deeply engaged with each other. And from my perspective, something I make a very strong uh, focus on is not to create artificial urgency that does not already align with the customer's priorities. So they have a timeline when they want to get something done. Creating an artificial urgency for that timeline is a benefit to both organizations, right? If you can come up with the best possible pricing for that time that they want to get the project done, and it truly... And, and this does, of course, happen all the time. It truly expires when that, but when that timing expires, that's you know some, some people will say, oh, you know, that's a sales tactic. Well, not exactly, because you're trying to achieve what the customer is trying to achieve. You're using their timeline, and you're going to your own organization internally and saying, "Give me the best possible deal, and it will come at this time." And that's how you're going to get the best thing for your customer. So again, that customer-centric view. Of urgency, you know, I don't take the approach that I'm creating urgency that they don't have. I'm taking the approach that I need to understand exactly why it's important to their business to happen at a certain time. And then that is the actual time I'm working towards. So I, I'm not a big fan of, especially with these large organizations, I don't think it's even too feasible. It's tough to take, you know, what is a huge freighter ship and be the one person trying to pull them, you know, in a certain direction. It takes time. So you have to be in lockstep with your customer as partners for that shared urgency, that shared moment when you both agree that's when it needs to happen. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's everything you said before, right? You know, leveraging their timeline because you've gone through that planning and you've been able, right. you've been checking and confirming and reconfirming. So yeah, I love it. And, and I'll say one other thing on that. I mean, for projects that do not have a timeline, because that can happen often, my approach to those is not to push the customer. I don't think that's very effective. It's instead to remove roadblocks along the journey. Like there, there's things in their way. And if you can just clear the path, you'll get there so much faster than trying to push the customer to hop over the hurdles ahead of them. So I really just focus on making it the easiest path forward. And that typically will accelerate the timeline a lot better than trying to apply any artificial pressure. Yeah, great stuff. Well, David, uh, in terms of uh, building those long-term customer relationships, I'm, I'm 
What do you do, you know, maybe after hours or even during the day to maybe entertain your customers or kind of build some of those personal connections with your most valuable clients? Yeah, it's a changing world. Uh, it's probably, ch- it'll probably change again in the next year, but um, being remote has been difficult to have that type of just, you know, forget business for a minute and just connect. It's pretty hard to do that in virtual meetings. Really hard. So um, now when, yeah, really hard. So, so now traveling, travel is definitely opening back up again for us and for our customers. And I think a lot of the visits that we'll be planning will be purely relationship. Like there won't even be a business meeting tied to it. We'll go out there just to spend time with the person that, that, you know, that customer is to us. So I like that. Um, you know, it's fun, obviously we always have a good time and it's a great way to build a relationship with someone. And I, outside of that, I feel the virtual meetings really are effective from a business planning standpoint. So I definitely foresee that, um, in the future, it'll be really more of social in-person events and we'll continue to a lot of, do a lot of business virtually. It's, it's been pretty effective in the software industry. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It's a good combination of the two, right? I mean, it's, you have to be face to face to really build that that relationship. But I mean, a lot of what yeah. we do can be done just like we're doing right now over Zoom or the equivalent. <laughs> yep. Well, um, so David, moving on, if you don't mind me asking, so you crushed it in 2021. And, you know, there's people that listen to the podcast that are, you know, they're brand new to tech sales or they've been doing it for 30 years. Um, you know, when when you have some success, what what kind of rewards or recognition um do you get, especially when you've been the top global sales rep for the year? Yeah, well, uh, it can get pretty ridiculous. I'll say that. I so, so. Um, so <laughs> yeah, so uh, there may or may not have been some type of car situation being thrown around this year. But, you know, it's, I, I'll say this is um, what the way I think about those type of awards, it's a fantastic thing. Obviously, it's something you celebrate and you really appreciate. But this year when I won, I asked myself the question, okay, if, if someone else in the globe had done uh, you know, 2% better than me, would I think less of my accomplishments? You know, it, it's, um, it's a great thing to celebrate when you do win it, but it's a reminder that you have to appreciate your own process regardless of if you overachieved past anyone else. Mm-hmm. So, so for me, it was kind of an interesting moment where I asked myself, you know, I got the award. I was all excited about it. And then I said to myself, you know, if I would have just lost my percentage point, I'd be the same. You know, I should be as proud of myself as I was um, not winning the award. So it's just a reminder that you really got to love the process and you got to appreciate your own personal growth. That's the rewarding thing. The awards will come when they come and that's awesome. But um, it's really about your own personal growth. Yeah. No, it's a, and it's a great attitude because, uh, Personally, I, I've been number one for a region and and in different groups, different kind of divisions. But I had never been a number one sales rep. But I've been like number two in big teams sure. lots of times. Uh, but it was never a goal for me. I mean, it's like if the you at the end of the day, you have to focus on the things you can control. Right. And the things you can control are a lot of the stuff you've talked about: great customer engagement, great meetings, great pipeline development, great execution. And uh, the results will be the results. Right. And you know, maybe you end up on top, maybe you end up on number two. But by the way, you're having an incredible career along the way and making lots of money and building fantastic customer relationships um, as you do it. So, yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. What, um, 
Now, as we start to wrap up, you know, you're, you've been in, with one company for over 10 years and you've definitely have changed roles and continue to accelerate your career. Um, I, I'm curious, what do you do for ongoing education or just to keep your personal skills sharp? Yeah, um, I would say I really like reading. Uh, I like reading what I'll consider like primary sources type books. Not necessarily, you know, I've gotten value out of, you know, sales books, but sometimes those are just kind of repackaging of some deeper insights about people or yourself or how your mind works. One, one of the books, one of my favorite books that definitely shapes me every day is uh, Thinking Fast and Slow by Danny Kahneman, which is a pretty you know popular book. I think he won the Nobel Prize. And it's all about, you know, the biases we have, co cognitive biases and how you think and things that seem natural and intuitive to you that really is uh, like malware in your brain. It's not a, not a feature, it's a bug. <laughs> so, so those things remind me of, you know, how do I structure my day and how I interact in a way that, you know, takes most advantage of um, the way we work as human beings. So I, I really like to read and I always find that it's like a mind expanding uh, opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, just picking up one new idea or just giving yourself a chance to sort of slow down and let some ideas pop into your head. Yes. The challenge I have is sometimes I'm reading something and ideas start flowing and I've got to stop, write it down. And, <laughs> or if I keep reading, yeah. you know, I've been all those ideas just sort of fall out the brain and they're gone. So it, I have a hard yeah, time. Yeah. Keep focusing. a one note. I keep a one note while I'm reading and either if I'm, if I'm feeling like I have time, I'll write it out, but if not, I'll take a picture of the page. And it's just this little uh, thing to go back to in the future because you're right; it can go in here and one out the other. Just, just like sometimes podcasts, right? You got to actually think: okay, am I processing the information? Or am I just letting it uh, roll over me? Yeah. In fact, just uh, really honestly, within the like the last three weeks, I found all these post-it notes in my uh, drawer. Um, I'm sorry, little post-it kind of like yellow tags. Sometimes you see them on legal documents where you need to sign, you know, sign here, sign there, sign there. Yeah. Um, so now when I see something I like, boom, I just, I tag it in the page. So now when I can go back and I see the book on the shelf, there's all these yellow tags. I was like, huh, I wonder what I was tagging that. I'll go back and I'll look at it. And it's like, oh, that's right. It was a great idea. Right. Um, sort of a way to kind of <laughs> exactly. find it. So, hey, um, so David, if, uh, if you don't mind me asking, um, you know, we all are working towards some, bigger thing in life. And, uh, you know, you've, you've made some great commissions or you'll, you'll probably get some big commission checks here soon for the year. From last year, once you earn it, you know, what do you do with it? Yeah, good question. I've, I've always been a saver. Uh, I remember I was, I had a summer internship in college. I was working construction. And at the end of the year, I went to my dad and I was like, hey, how do I put uh, this $3,000 in savings in a Roth IRA. I love it. <laughs> so I, I was thinking about it early. And um, I'll say for me, I I'm sure uh, it'll evolve over time, my investment strategy. But for now, you know, we got two young kids. Um, my wife and, and I are uh, living here in New Jersey. And for us, it's about how do we put our money to work without requiring another minute of labor from us because we're both working and we're very busy. So for the time being, you know, I like to the name of the game's uh, diversification. So I like index funds and putting it in long-term growth in the market. It requires nothing from me. I feel like I can benefit from the risk on the money. And um, it's, it's about as dead simple as you get. So that's, that's where our family's at at the moment. Yeah. I just uh, came across a, a quote from Warren Buffett. I happen to have it right here on my desk and it was about making money work for you. And he said, if you don't find a way to make your money, if you don't find a way to make money while you sleep, you'll work until you die. Right. 
There you go. I love Definitely that. True. You know, and I, I love that you're you're ahead of that and started early because um, you know I've been working for 26 years now, and um, you know I've. I remember when I was more like kind of in your stage, or, you know, maybe five to eight years into my role, seeing people that had been working for 30 years and they're still grinding it out as a sales rep, but I know that they've crushed it. And I knew that they work at Cisco or had worked at Cisco and all these different companies and made a bunch of money. But uh, it's like, man, why are they still grinding it out? You know, why aren't they retired? And the reality was um, they didn't save enough. They didn't invest enough. They didn't diversify enough. And also they raised their level of lifestyle yes. as they've continued to grow those commission checks. And, you know, it's great. You know, you're excited. You go out and now you want to buy the bigger house, the bigger car, whatever. Um, but it's hard to bring that back down. So it's okay. If, you know, go ahead and reward yourself. But then, you know, what do you, what else are you doing to build up those income streams to set you up down the road? Because um, at some point, you know, everybody wants to retire. So yeah. Think early and get ahead of it. I, yeah. I was going to say the same thing is um, we, we, the savings, the, the idea of saving your money is one thing. It's great. It's going to set you up for future income. But the other thing it does, which is even more important, I think, is uh, depress your inflating uh, life expectations. And don't they say like uh, happiness is what reality minus expectations? So you can, we're lucky, right, to be in these careers that can be rewarding. But if your expectations for your life continue to grow, you're actually going to create, you create a problem for yourself. So I think we all try to keep, you know, expenses and uh, what we need to be, quote unquote, happy as low as possible. Of course, it'll always grow. But that, that's one thing saving will do for you, I guess, is keep your, your standards from inflating too much. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Well, hey, as we wrap it up, David, um, you know, what do you do to give back? Yeah, good question. It's something we're figuring out, to be honest. Um, one one thing that I'm pretty interested in, and this kind of goes to, um, I have like a really interested in decision making and frameworks for how you make the most impact um, in your decision making. So there's always seems to be this trade off with with charity between what might feel the best to you. It's salient. You feel connected to it, and versus what actually makes the biggest impact to those being helped. So there's a movement called effective altruism. And, and I think there's this, um, I've been looking at giving what you can, which is kind of, I, I'm looking forward to finding a way to kind of strike that balance between make a huge impact with each dollar, you know, that you give and also um, feel that connection with it. So it's something we're exploring, but I think there's that space of uh, like effective giving is really seems to have grown recently. And it's exciting, just like, um, you know, in the private sector, there's been these hugely scalable businesses that make a huge impact. Same's happening, I think, in the um, nonprofit sector. So it's exciting. And I look forward to figuring out our strategy there as well. Yeah. One thing I picked up during our conversation is, uh, you know, you're very intentional about how you go about things and, you know, whether it's your selling or how you give, um, I think it, uh, sure. imagine some of that comes from your, both your engineering degree and your consult time in <laughs> consulting. So probably right. But yeah. That you, I think you summarized me quite well. That's very true. Yeah. You know, we, we probably make a good team. I'm more on the, I've always been on the sales side. I'll go do, and then think about it afterwards. <laughs> so. Shoot first. Yeah. It's been a couple of times where maybe I've stepped in it. So, um, well, Hey, uh, David, I really appreciate the time today. If uh, if a listener wanted to reach out to you, how can they connect? Yeah, I would love to connect with people, to be honest. Uh, I've been in one company my whole career, so I know people at Citrix and those are my customers that I've worked with, but I love to expand my network. So LinkedIn is probably the way 
uh, best way to get in touch with me, just David Case uh, at Citrix. So um, I would love if anyone reached out on LinkedIn. Would look forward to that. Excellent. All right. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. So David, once again, thank you for your time today. It was really nice to, to meet you and really nice to catch up. Great. Thank you so much, Chris. It was a great opportunity and I really enjoyed it. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.